Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Thanks for being with us again today. As always, it is a pleasure being with you. Today, we're looking at three of the most effective ways to lower our taxes with real estate investments. With us is Yona Bice, who is a powerhouse with property owners tax savings as business director at Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader. He has assisted clients in saving hundreds of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. He's a real estate investor and the host of the top podcast, Vice Advice. So, Yona, thanks for being with us today. And take us into the show and share the experience that helped you to be who you are today. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here. Great to be on another podcast as I do this a lot myself and just really enjoy it. It's a great medium. And to all your listeners out there, hope you're having a wonderful day. You know, a little bit about myself, as you mentioned, real estate investor, conservation expert. They call me hashtag cost seg king because I happen to, we're the biggest national company doing this, having to work with, you know, literally over a thousand clients personally. And it's just incredible helping people. And I think one of the things that helped be formative really in, in my early years has shaped who I am today. It really has a lot to do with, you know, helping people. I was brought up in an environment, you know, my family where, you know, we had a relatively, you know, large family and helping was, it went without saying, everyone had to pull their load, so to speak. Everyone had to help out around the house and do different things, chores, which I'm sure everyone had experiences with that to some extent or another. We didn't have a farm or anything, so no, no outdoor chores, but a lot of things. And I started, uh, you know, volunteering for youth organizations, started volunteering, helping tutoring kids and things like that, even in my early years. And that really led me to become a teacher. And so I was a teacher for about 15 years before I actually got into real estate. And for me, that I think those early years were teaching people and being shown how to help others really kind of pushed me in the direction of where I am today, which is still all I'm doing every day is really teaching people about real estate and about cost irrigation and you know how to save money on their taxes. And that's helping people. So it may be a little more of a broad thing, but I think that's really something that I stand firmly by and one of the foundations that I'm built on. Jonathan, thank you for Yona, thank you for sharing that with us. Let's start off with what is cost segregation? We've had other cost segregationists on the show and they've given us a little bit of background on that. But for our newers, for but for our viewers who are new to the show, just give us a background on what is cost segregation. Sure. It is a real estate tax deduction. So it's a fancy word for accelerated depreciation. And before we understand what accelerated depreciation is, probably have to understand what depreciation is, right? It sounds like a negative word, right? Something going down in value, but actually it's just a name of a tax deduction based on the principle that things go down in value as time goes on, right? Really your property is, is probably going up in value. It's probably appreciating. But when you buy any property besides for your personal residence, any you know commercial or resident, resident, doesn't matter what it is, you are allowed to literally take a tax write-off, income tax write-off of the entire value of that property. 
Okay, but you cannot do it all at once, right? You do it over a 39 year period if it's a commercial property or a 27 and a half year period if it is a residential or multifamily property. Now, that's a long time to wait to get all those deductions. What we do is a service that allows you to accelerate some of those deductions. So, simply put, it's a cash flow mechanism that gets you bigger income tax deductions in the earlier years of ownership. You go to actually, we talk about depreciation as a tax write-off, but in actuality, this is actually a tax deferment. Explain that to our viewers and listeners so that they get a full understanding of what we're talking about in deferment as opposed to an actual write-off. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it is a deferment in all cases. And the reason why it is talked as a write-off, it is a deduction, is an expense on your, you know, on your depreciation schedule, on your tax return. And that expense really de- reduces your taxable income in the current year. When you refer to it as a deferral, it means that is going to come back to buy you. You are going to have to pay that tax or whatever you took. And that's really not the case. When you do sell a property, and this may be what you're referring to, is anytime you sell a property, you are going to be subject to what's called depreciation recapture tax. Now, that is a tax that is on the amount of depreciation that you took over the course of ownership. However, that's considered like a gain. Okay, You took that amount, now you're going to be taxed on that amount that you took. However, that's not that, you know, the tax amount that you would have paid in the current year is probably going to be a higher rate than what you would pay further down the road. So it's not necessarily deferring it because there are many ways to even get around or reduce that gain on the sale as well. So it is actual deduction in the current year. And not only that, the value, the time value of money which is using your cash. It's your own money, right? It's not like you are you know, just doing a favor to the government. They're giving you a favor and allowing you to, this is your money, hard-earned money. And instead of paying it to the government, you can actually use that. And the biggest return on investment is by having more cash to reinvest in the current year. I mean, besides for inflation, I think this is something that a lot of people don't talk about, but time value of money means a dollar today is worth more than it is five years from now or a year from now. But nowadays, when we're talking about the rate of inflation, having more cash to invest today is going to be so much more worth it than it will be a year or five years from now. Absolutely, Yona. And also there's this aspect of, I mean, when we're working in a low margin environment, which often we are in multifamily, these cost segregation measures can be the difference between loss and profitability. So it is truly invaluable. Before we go further into explanations of cost segregation and how to utilize them, explain the difference between just regular depreciation and bonus depreciation. You've talked to us about accelerated, but what do you mean when you're talking about bonus depreciation? So bonus depreciation is a law that came into about a few years ago in the recent tax reform. And essentially what it says is once you do a cost segregation study, and just to break down the framework of how that works. We are taking an engineering study of a property and breaking down the structural components, which are really the only things that depreciate on that 27 and a half or 39 year schedule. And we're breaking out also other components that depreciate on a faster on a five or seven or 15 year schedule. And so some of those things are like furniture and fixtures or land improvements that are on a 15 year schedule, like concrete and pavement and landscaping. Once you've done that, done that cost segregation study and accelerated those categories, we or have this new law called bonus depreciation, which allows you to take that full amount of accelerated depreciation in the first year. 
okay, in or in the year that you decided to do it. This was a new law, like I said, came about in 2017 and is currently in the books until this year, 2022, will still be at the 100% bonus depreciation level. Meaning, let's say I bought a million dollar property, okay? And if I did regular depreciation, I would be taking approximately $30,000 a year. Okay, let's say just dividing that by taking off some for land, land doesn't depreciate, and then dividing it by 27 and a half, approximately $30,000. Let's say I do cost segregation and we're able to take 25% of that depreciation at these faster rates, five year, 15 year. Well, that would get me double or triple the amount over the first five years. Instead of $30,000, I'd be getting you know somewhere between 60 and $90,000 a year over those first five years. Bonus depreciation says you can take that full lump sum, that $200,000, $250,000 lump sum up in the first year as a tax deduction. And so that's why bonus depreciation has become so, so important because it's allowed people to scale much faster. Whereas, you know, they may have only had a, a $60,000 deduction. Well, that's great. But if you have more income, especially if you have income from other sources and you're able to use those deductions against that, then the more cash flow you have, the more you can scale. Well, Yona, you said that this came into being in 2017 and then up through two. 222, we can use that. Does that mean it's going away after this year? It's going to start phasing out. In the currently in the books, when it was put into place, it's going to start phasing out by 20% each year. So 2023, it's going to go down to 80% bonus and 60, 40, 20 until it's completely phased out, which means you're still going to be able to take 80% of those accelerated deductions in the first year and the remaining 20% you can still put on those faster five or seven or 15 year schedules. So it's just going to make the calculations a little more complicated. I see. And so this is all talking about the future, but there's a possibility that they could revamp that and keep it in place. And Certainly. We hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. And with the economy looking like it is going to be on life supports, there may be a good possibility they will use that as a means to kind of prop it up again. We'll see. Who knows what our brilliant congressman will do. <laughs> well, what do you? what is a failed 1031 exchange and how can it fail? So a failed 1031 exchange, if anyone knows what a 1031 exchange is, it is a way to sell a property without actually selling it through this. You know, you got to fill out some forms and you have to fit some timelines where you have to identify another property. Instead of selling property A and buying property B, you can actually exchange one for another, essentially by having the money flow through a third party and set up in the proper way. Unfortunately, there are certain deadlines and timelines that you have to fit in order to do that. And not everyone is able to identify a property that they want to you know, sell. They want to sell their property, but they may not have enough time to identify a new property to buy or one that fits their criteria. So what ends up happening is people, the reason why you do a 1031 exchange is to avoid paying the capital gains tax and the recapture tax. You defer that with a 1031 exchange, both of those. However, if you don't, you're going to be subject to those taxes on the sale. So getting stuck with a big capital gain, a big recapture tax on the sale is not something that a lot of people enjoy. However, a failed 1031 exchange, like you mentioned, is where you actually don't go through with it. You're not able to do it. You just end up selling you know, a failed 1031 exchange is, is essentially just selling a property without a, an exchange. However, cost segregation, using this method, we're able to accelerate and get large passive deductions, these de depreciation deductions in the same year of the sale of a property without a 1031 exchange or a failed 1031 exchange, you're able to actually use those losses to offset those passive gains. So really interesting thing about depreciation in real estate is that 
the capital gain from real estate is considered passive gain, where un- unlike capital gains from selling a business or, or capital gains from selling stocks or, or crypto or whatever it is, those are considered active gains. And unfortunately, real estate depreciation deductions cannot be used to offset those gains. However, the sale from real estate will is considered passive gains, and you're able to use the depreciation deductions to offset that. So another great tool in the toolbox is, well, if you weren't able to do 1031 exchange, guess what? You can possibly do a consideration on a purchase of a new property, or even on an old property that you never did consideration before on, and use those passive losses to offset those passive gains. Yeah, that is something that I just recently discovered is that you don't have to do this, the cost segregation the day that you purchase the property, that you can actually do it anytime within the life cycle of the property. And that isn't necessarily just because you overlooked it when you purchased it. It just could be that later on in the life cycle, it's just more advantageous to take advantage of it at that point in time. I didn't know that till just recently. The short-term rentals, I mean, we generally think of cost segregation in terms of multifamily or other commercial assets, but you're saying that we can utilize them in short-term rentals, which is generally a single-family home put into an Airbnb type of situation. How do we use cost segregation in conjunction with that? Yeah, so like any property, like I mentioned, besides your personal residence, you can use this method to for any business or any rental property whatsoever. Obviously, the higher the purchase price, the value of the property, the more the benefit is going to be because the depreciation is a percentage of that purchase price. Okay, It's going to be proportional to that. However, there's something really interesting when it comes to short-term rentals that is a loophole that not a lot of people know about. Okay. And I've seen a ton of people get into this space recently. And maybe some people would say it's getting a little saturated, the Airbnb market, but this is a loophole, a tax loophole that not a lot of, even a lot of accountants that I speak with aren't familiar with. And it says that there are rules when it comes to the passive loss activity rules. We mentioned depreciation is considered a passive loss. Well, there are certain rules, how you can apply that and who can use that. Short-term rentals, if your average stay is less than seven days, Okay, so we're not talking about midterm rentals or 30 day rentals or anything like that, but average stays less than seven days and you self manage that. Okay, so you can't have a property manager in order to get this benefit. It now becomes like a business. Okay, and it can still be on Schedule E, meaning your passive deductions like other rental properties can be on there. However, being that it becomes an active business, you now are no longer subject to those passive loss restrictions, which means those depreciation deductions on a short-term rental can now be used not only against your rental income, which is generally speaking how depreciation is used, it can now be used against any active or W-2 income if you have one or anything like that. So this is something really kind of unique, almost unlike any other type of business out there where you can use your depreciation deductions not only to offset your rental income, but also to be used spread across your other income sources. Well, that is, and I I could see how it could be very beneficial. The question I have, Yona, when we're talking about these short-term rentals is, I mean, cost segregation is not an inexpensive proposition. Is it worth it? I can see in in short-term rentals, there's a lot of inventory that could be segregated. I mean, they're furnished places and a lot of, oftentimes in some of these upscale Airbnb kind of things, there's nice property in there. But how does it become cost-effective? It's an excellent question. I think a lot of people are mis- misconstrued when it actually comes to the cost. Certainly, 
Like I said, the higher the value, the more benefits going to be there. But yes, there is a cost associated with it. One of the things we always do is run a free analysis beforehand so anyone can know what the potential tax savings would be before you know spending a dime. For single families, currently we charge around $3,000 for a single family home. So if you buy a property for, you know, let's say $200,000, okay, you may be getting, let's say 20, 25% of that as a faster deduction. So you're talking about, you know, 40, $50,000 deduction. Is it worth it to spend $3,000 to get a 40, $50,000 deduction? I think most people would say yes. You know, below that point, obviously it gets, it gets a little closer to, uh, is it worth it? For larger properties, you know, multifamily, gets around the $5,000 range. So our fees are pretty competitive out there. And we are the largest national conservation company doing this, a fully engineering-based firm. There are some companies that offer some solutions. I've heard about do-it-yourself or some, some software programs where you can actually do it on your own. I wouldn't highly recommend that. I do know some accountants that recommend it on smaller, you know, smaller properties where you know, you're really not going to be too worried about getting audited or things like that. But it's still a little bit risky in my eyes. That being said, having an engineering study, which is the one that the IRS really does recognize, is something that you're going to want to look into. So again, $3,000, maybe $6,000 on the high end, and we're talking about larger commercial properties, maybe a little bit more. We're talking about skyscrapers and things like that. It has a lot to do with the scope of work. But again, it's pretty affordable. And I don't think it's... it. First of all, it's not contingent. Okay, It's not going to be a percentage of your tax savings, which I think that's where a lot of people are confused about. Think, well, I'm going to have to pay a percentage of that. It's not always so. And there's a Journal of Accountancy article floating around from like 2003 that talks about cost segregation. And anytime you Google cost segregation, that for some reason, that article is still going to pop up there. right? <laughs> and I've seen it. I've seen it countless times. And I've seen people on blog posts, like basically verbatim, like quote this article. And the funny thing is it says there that, you know, it's not really worth it because cost segregations can cost upwards of $20,000, $30,000 to get done. And that may have been the case, you know, a couple of decades ago, but is no longer the case now. Well, $3,000, that's much more economical than what I had uh, thought that it would be for a single family home. That could be very doable in, in a lot of different situations. And just to emphasize what you had just mentioned in terms of an engineering study, it is my understanding that unless it is engineering studied, you there's just a greater likelihood that you're going to face an audit. But when the auditors see an engineering study stamped on there, they generally are not going to go into depth in arguing about any of the items on that study. But if it isn't stamped on there, they could go through the whole the whole thing and it could be a nightmare. So yes, I am with you. Don't use the software. Get it done right if you're going to do it. Yona, tell our audience how it is that they can get in touch with you. Well, the best way to find me is actually on LinkedIn. I'm extremely active on that platform. It's my social media go-to. Very popular over there. So if you do use that platform, please make sure to mention that you found me on this show and, and reach out. Otherwise, you can check out yonaweiss.com or our company is Madison Specs, madisonspecs.com. Either way, you can find us and happy to help. Yona, what are the downsides to cost segregation, or I guess I should say, when would you not want to do a cost segregation? I think some of the main reasons why someone wouldn't want to get it done is number one, if you don't have income, okay, this is going to help you if you have income. But if you don't have any income, getting extra deductions is not really going to help anyone. So if you have property where it's a big you know, renovation project, maybe you're going to have losses in the first year, definitely doesn't make sense. If it's a very short-term hold, we talked about at the beginning, Alan, about the depreciation recapture tax. 
yes, that's a, it's something that's going to come right back at you on the sale. And if you don't have a plan to defer that with a 1031 or other strategies, the time value of money is going to be much less. Okay. So having a short term, like less than a year or two hold period is going to be less beneficial. Uh, another time where it's probably not going to make sense. And we talked about the actual value of the property. That's obviously a determining factor. But another time is if you are not taxable. So for example, if you're investing, and I've seen a lot of syndicators doing this, where they are bringing in money from investors that invest self-direct from their retirement accounts. Okay. And I highly recommend that if you don't know about how to do that, check that out, look into that. There are some great service providers out there that can help you self-direct your retirement account to invest in real estate. However, when you're doing that, many of those retirement accounts are already tax shelters, which means you're not going to be able to benefit from depreciation. If you can't benefit to depreciation, then conservation is not going to do anyone any good. So that's just another way where it probably doesn't make any sense. Well, Yona, when is the best time to do a cost segregation? The best time is when you need it. Just No, just simply put, I mean, like I said, it's going to be best when you have the use for this service. If you have income, if you have a large amount of taxable income that you want to reduce, you want to get rid of that, that's when it's going to be helpful to you. So you don't necessarily have to do the cost in the first year of ownership. You can get it done you know, later down, down the road when you're maybe the first year, you may not have any income from the property or any other taxable income. You can get it done at that point. Most people like to get it done the first year just to make sure they set it up the right way, or you know, they may have enough investors, they may have enough income that they're going to want to offset in the first year. But either way, it, you know, it's going to be helpful to you in your situation. Yona, is there just some clue or some something that we as an investor go, it's time to do a cost segregation without having to go through our accountant, who oftentimes accountants don't understand cost segregation themselves. Yeah. So how are we going to know this is the time for us to do it? You know, have a conversation with, first of all, with your accountant. If they don't know what it is, you know, find someone like myself who can kind of walk you through the steps, show you, like I said, we always run a free analysis so you can see ahead of time what the difference between getting, you know, just taking regular straight line depreciation versus doing a cost segregation, what that's actually going to look like and see if that's going to benefit you. Most people will know what their, you know, projected taxable income is going to look like uh, for the year. And so they'll know, well, can I use this? This is going to be beneficial. And so that's where it's worth having that conversation. All righty. Enlightened investors, enlightening show once again. And I'm delighted that we have had Yona with us. Thanks, Yona, for sharing your knowledge and wisdom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.